Lord, thank you that you brought us into another place. We've been translated from the kingdom of this darkness on earth into the kingdom of the beloved Son in the Spirit. And we live there now. And we move and have our being in you. We walk the earth as witnesses of another realm, of another kingdom, where there is no condemnation and no judgment. Lord, thank you for this reality. Jesus of Nazareth, thank you, Lord, that you're here with us by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Come from the ancient of days, sent by the Father inside of us now. What a gift. The Spirit of the Lord within us. Thank you, Lord, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we are the house of God. We are the living stones. Thank you, Lord, that you're here with us. Even now, Jesus of Nazareth, Son of Man, Son of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the reality of opening our eyes to see what is real, what is true, and what is eternal. For that which is seen is temporary, but that which is unseen is eternal. And therein we stand in our rock, on a rock that cannot be moved. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for blessing this time that we can see heavenly things and be encouraged by a father who calls us beloved beloved thank you lord thank you lord amen Let's continue to pray for Clark and Martha, Clark in Omaha during the prophetic presbytery and um, lift him up in prayer. Um, it's just so appreciative of a pastor like Clark Whitten that is bold to preach the grace of God and the finished work of Christ without compromise. And we just, just uh, it's a rare, a rare person that uh, has blessed us and this is so, such an awesome thing that uh, God has led Clark to do with this Grace Church. Just, it's an oasis. Um, and if you haven't bought the six messages on grace that Clark did a while back, awesome. Six messages on the grace of God. Um, just some incredible truth about the new covenant. If you haven't got those yet, you can ask for them at the front desk and, and um, spread them around. If you've already got one, spread them around to someone else that needs to maybe see the goodness of God in their, in their lives and how God is with them and for them. Okay, um, what I want to share this morning is we talked a while back about how there are scriptures that sometimes hang us up in our understanding of the new covenant or the covenant of grace and the finished work of Christ and we'll see maybe a scripture, we'll run into a scripture that says to us something different, seemingly, from what the covenant of grace is or what has been revealed to us by the Spirit concerning the finished work of Jesus. And so 
um, these scriptures from time to time, and I, I would guess there's probably maybe 10 of them that are the biggies in the scripture that, that sometimes cause people to say, oh, um, oh, and by the way, I love the way, <laughs> I love what Abby did with the cover. I saw this when I got in this morning. It's like, I was like, oh God, that looks scary, man. It's like, it's all black and judgment begins at the house of God and the, there's no light except this little finger that looks like it's about to point at you. And I was, I was thinking like someone's going to see this and say, I knew it wouldn't, I knew it couldn't have been that good. I knew grace couldn't have been that good. It's got to be. I knew the other shoe was about to fall. Here it comes. Here it comes. But anyway, we're going to, we're going to look at this verse in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, where Peter actually mentions and says, judgment begins at the house of God. And this is so cool to look at this because on the surface, it looks like, and it's preached and taught like in many circles, that God is saying in this verse that God is going to judge the church or God is judging the church to clean her up, to get her cleaned up, get her, her sin cleansed, and get her straightened out before Jesus comes back. And that's what's taught in many circles, that this verse means that God is going to judge the church to get her cleaned up so she's ready for the second coming. And I believe you'll see when we look at this passage that it is just the opposite what Peter is saying in this passage. And it's so encouraging what he's saying. So, first of all, let me just share with you. And one of, there's, a, there's one of the verses we did a few weeks ago about um, the judgment seat of Christ. That's, that's a phrase that we've heard um, from Corinth, the Corinthian letter. We did that a few weeks ago. We talked about how the judgment seat of Christ, how that's been mistaught in the body of Christ. And contrary to popular belief, it's not a message in the Corinthian letter that the believers are all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ to have their lives analyzed so that they can get rewards or not get rewards. Contrary to that teaching, there's not a mention of the word reward in the entire chapter there. That's not talking about rewards. Men have added that. They've assumed that. They've included that when it's not in the text. All Paul is saying there is that when you go and when we all stand before God, if we have not been persuaded, as he says in the next verse, we persuade you to believe, receive this Christ who took our judgment for us, for Christ, for God was in Christ, reconciling the whole world unto himself, not counting their sins against them, not counting what they did in their body, whether it be good, whether it be evil. See, for he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that whole passage is simply saying that, you know, receive this good news, receive the finished work of Christ so that when we do stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment will be rendered and the judgment will be as Christ is, so is he. Because you're one with him. Isn't that awesome? Totally trans, you know, it's amazing how we've taken those verses. That's just an example. We did that a few weeks ago. Today we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 17. Let me just share some thoughts with you real quick about how, um, what I've learned about how to read the scriptures before we get into this. I'm going to give you five things that have helped me in how to read the scriptures. The first thing to remember is we've got to see the scriptures with, through new eyes. Number one, we've got to see them through new eyes. Those new eyes have to be eyes who have received and understood the revelation of the finished work of Christ, of the grace of God. Um, the first verse in your, in your program mentions how Jesus opened their understanding, opened their mind 
to the scriptures. That's powerful. And the very first scripture referred to in your bulletin there, he opened their mind to understand the scriptures. He said, all the things written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me must be fulfilled. I used to think that meant just the prophecies about his second coming, that he would come on a donkey in Jerusalem and he would, you know, he would, uh, certain things that he would do, he would be crucified on a cross, Psalm 22, all these things. But it's more than just his coming and his Daniel 9 about the 70 weeks of Daniel when he would appear and all. It's more than just that. He has fulfilled everything. This is, the, this is the revelation that the Spirit wants to bring. He has fulfilled everything. He's the peg in the temple. He's the veil in the temple. He's the laver of judgment. He's everything. He has fulfilled everything. He is the ark with Noah. He is the door that was shut that's to seal them in. He is the rainbow above. He is everything. He is the lamb that was given when Isaac brought the lamb. He is the, the sticks. He's the fire. He's, he's the, the wind. He's everything. See? He has fulfilled everything. Christ is everything. He's all in all. And to have him is to have everything. For God determined to sum up all things in Christ Jesus, to sum up everything in his son, that in him we might be complete in him. See? It's an awesome revelation that opens up. This is more than just a prophecy that he's coming. He has fulfilled all things. He himself is our peace. He himself is our righteousness. I tell you, one of the main things the Spirit does in renewing our minds, I believe, is when you begin to see, when we begin to see more and more that Jesus does not, yet, does not just give you righteousness. He does not just give you peace. The scripture says, he himself is my righteousness. The Lord is my righteousness. The day will come, the prophet said, when they will call him the Lord, my righteousness. The scripture says in Ephesians that he doesn't just give us peace. He is our peace, for he is our peace. See, in union with him, all that he has is ours. The spirit is given, Jesus said, to show you that all that belongs to me and now belongs to you because you're in me. Isn't that awesome? What a rest, what a rest. We're not talking about things here. We're talking about him, him. He's within you and you are with him. Okay, so, what, what are the, so we first need to see through new eyes this revelation of grace and this finished work of Christ. That's, that's the, uh, the thing that uh, is, 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 is our, our new glasses, so to speak, as we read the scriptures. Because there, there are verses that, in the scriptures that say, um, take animal sacrifices to the temple in Jerusalem for certain sins. Well, how do you know you're not supposed to do that anymore, that you don't have to do that anymore? Because you look at it through the eyes of Christ, through the eyes of the finished work of Christ, through the grace of God, and you know that's a very clear example that you know that scripture does not apply the way it used to apply. That's clear. Where there are other scriptures just like that that are not so clear. But it's the same truth, the same reason you know you're not supposed to go to Jerusalem and bring a lamb or bring a goat to the temple is the same way you can look at other scriptures and say that is no longer applicable or that is to be seen in a different way. Isn't that cool? Paul said it boldly. He said the righteousness which is by faith no longer speaks like the righteousness which was by commandments and by obedience. When righteousness was a function of obedience to commandments, they spoke in a certain way. They said, do this and God will do this. Do this and you'll be blessed. Do this, you'll be cursed. They spoke in a certain way. Righteousness, which is by faith, speaks differently. You say now things like, if you are in him, you are righteous. If you are in him, sin is not imputed to you. If you're in him, 
you're not under law. And where there is no law, there's no transgression. If you're in him, you've already passed from death and into life and shall not come into judgment. Isn't that awesome? So with new eyes, we see the scriptures differently. Secondly, number two, rely on the spirit of God to open our eyes to these truths in the scriptures. Really rely on the spirit of God. Who can know the thoughts of God? But the spirit of God, the scripture says. Who can know the thoughts of God? Only the spirit of God from God can tell us his thoughts. So a complete reliance on the spirit of God as we read the scriptures is crucial as opposed to coming to the scriptures in our own understanding, our own mindset and saying, I I know this scripture, I've heard this before. No, in dependency on the spirit and humility, let the spirit teach us. Number three, always remember that what is unclear, let me say it this way, always interpret a verse that is unclear by that which is clear. In other words, know what you know, and when you come to an unclear verse, don't change what you know that you know to accommodate the one verse. No, if you know what you know, what is clear, then there's something wrong with my understanding of the one verse. It's awesome to do it that way because that's what mo- a lot of people get into error because they change the, what they know to be true or they modify it or they add to it instead of saying, no, that, that doesn't fit. There's something here I'm missing in this one verse. Um, for instance, there are hundreds of verses that talk about that he took our sin upon himself. If the cross means anything, if the cross means anything, it means that he took away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. If the cross means anything, it means that he took my judgment for my sin, all my sin, past, present, future, on the cross. That he gave me his righteousness as a gift. If the cross means anything, it means I have been brought into a place of favor with God. The gift of righteousness has been given to me. He who has received this abundant grace and the gift of righteousness reigns in life now. If it means anything, it means that I can live in no fear of judgment. No fear of judgment. That's why it's called the good news. So we know that is clear. So when we read a passage in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17 that says judgment begins at the house of God, then the, mo- the first impression is, is that talking about, let's say judgment in the house of God? What does that mean? So we're going to take a look at it. Okay, number four, read the, the entire context slowly. I know this is, this is like almost assumed, but you'll be surprised what the Spirit, as we rely on the Spirit, as we look at the Scriptures through new eyes, as we compare what we know to be true as we look at unclear verses, you'll be surprised when you read the whole context, the whole context slowly, slowly. It's a big key to read slowly. I, 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 just, I don't like this speed reading Bible stuff. I mean, why are we in a hurry to read the Bible? You know, it's, just, it's very important that we read slowly and let the Spirit show us these things and we'll see the, the whole context of what he's saying. It's, it's awesome. And number five, Consider who's writing and consider who they're writing to. Number five, consider who's writing the letter and consider who they're writing to. A good example of this would be the first John 1 9 verse, when you realize even though John is writing a letter to believers, yet in the letter, he makes references in the letter to unbelievers. He addresses unbelievers. And so first John 1 9, the one of those one verses that tend to put a fly in the ointment of the, to the hundreds of verses that talk about sin is no longer counted against us, um, we look at that and we think, 
We've got to modify now what we know to be true because of this one verse. When in truth, he's simply saying in 1 John 1, 9 that an unbeliever, an unregenerate person, because if you look at verse 8 above it and verse 10 below it, there's the context. Verse 8, verse 10, he says in verse 8 and 10 that a person who does not have the word in him, who does not have the truth in him, who calls God a liar, same phrase he uses in chapter 5 of 1 John, referring to an unbeliever who calls God a liar saying, I'm not a sinner. And he who is deceived, those four descriptions of this person is given in verses eight and 10. And then right in the middle in verse nine, it says, if that person who's an unbeliever will confess their sins, agree with God that they're a sinner, God is faithful and just to forgive them their sins and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. Isn't that awesome? So that, and that's huge. Anyway, all right, so, so there's five things to remember as we look at the scripture. Let's look at this. Let's go right into 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. 417 says, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? Okay, let's look at the context. Let's go back to the beginning of uh, where we can kind of start with, with what Paul's, or what Peter's talking about here. Let's go with um, verse 12. Let's back up to verse 12 and look at the context. Here we go. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes, from you for, which comes upon you for testing, for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. First of all, let me ask you this. If this passage in verse 17 is saying that God is judging the church to get her cleaned up, to get her sins cleansed, to get her straightened out, to get her ready for the second coming or whatever, then we, will, we should find in the context here Peter addressing a bunch of carnal believers. We should find in the context some believers that need straightening up, right? I mean, why would he all of a sudden say this unless there's some context to this? Are these believers, um, do they need judgment? See, let's see what these believers, let's see what kind of believers these believers were. Okay, first he calls them beloved, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, that's a reference to his second coming, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. As a footnote, he throws in this, so he's clear, he's, he throws this little footnote in there and says, now this kind of suffering I'm talking about is not the kind of suffering you, know, you get when you go out and rob 7-Eleven or something. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, then he comes right back to what his point is, because these are sold out believers who are being persecuted. The fiery ordeal they're going through, they're being persecuted. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. In this name. And the reason why he says in this name, referring to Christian, is because Christian was a derogatory name in the first century. The book of Acts says they were first called Christians by the unbelievers at Antioch. 
It was a derogatory term. It was, some, it was a put down. The Christians, those are Christians. And so he said, don't be ashamed to be called Christian by this name, but glorify. See, it, it, was, a, it was a bad name in the, in the world before. It's interesting that the Pharisees in the first century, they called the early Christians the kingdom of arrogance because the first century Christians dare to say they were as righteous as God is righteous as a gift. They proclaimed, they boasted in the work of Christ. They boasted in their righteousness by faith. They boasted in a righteousness which was not their own. And the Pharisees who tried to earn and tried to get righteousness by their own efforts called them the kingdom of arrogance. Isn't that awesome? Verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey, who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Do you see there, saints, that this, the context here that he's addressing sold out believers who are under persecution, who are maybe wondering, why is this happening to us? He says, don't be surprised at this fiery trial, this, as, some, as if some strange thing was happening to you. You see that in this passage where he says, you know, if you're reviled for the name of Christ, glory in that. And if you're rejected because of your, being a Christian, then know that the glory and the blessing of Christ rest upon you. So, so he's talking to a, a group of believers who need encouragement because they're just getting kicked around bad by the world and they're getting, getting persecuted. So let's look at this verse. What does he mean? Well, first of all, when I read this, and out of the blue, Peter goes, for, for it's time for judgment to begin at the house of God. And he's like, where is that? Where did that come from? It sounds like a quote from something else. It sounds like he in, interjected something that he knows that he read somewhere else, and, it, and that's exactly what it is. He's a good Jew. He knows the book of Ezekiel. He's quoting Ezekiel. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 9. Ezekiel chapter 9. It's right before Daniel. Ezekiel chapter 9. And he says here in verse 3 through 6, He's quoting a time in Israel's history when there was a, a judgment. God was sending judgment upon Israel for their sins. And so he mentions, he speaks to the prophet and he says first this. Look at verse 3, chapter 9, verse 3. Then the glory of the God of Israel went up from the cherub on which it had been to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the man clothed in linen at whose loins was the writing case. Verse 4. The Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city even through the midst of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations which are being committed in, his, in its midst. But to the others, he said in my hearing, go through the city after him and strike. Do not let your eye have pity or do not spare. Utterly slay old men, young men, maidens, little children and women, but do not touch any man. Do not touch any man on whom is the mark and you shall start from my sanctuary. You shall start at my house. So they started with the elders who were before the temple. This is analogous to the, the people who, now this is how I read the scripture. This is how I see things. I see things through Christ, okay? So what I see here is the people who moan and groan for the abominations that are being done in the land, those who felt 
bad for the evil in the land, who are tired of the violence, who are tired of the sin, who are tired of the hurt, tired of the pain. Those are analogous to believers in Christ. And God said, I'm bringing judgment on the land, but before I bring judgment, go and mark those who have this mindset, who have the heart of God, who, who do not like what they see in this world. That's you, saints, because you have the heart of Christ. I don't care. We're not... I'm not saying we perfectly have that passion against evil and against sin as Christ himself has, but it's inside of you and it wants to come out. We have a new heart. We have the heart of Christ. We have the same heart that wept over Jerusalem because they didn't know the day of their visitation. Their, their visitation. So what, all this is is an analogy of believers. Now look what happens. The believers get marked before the judgment comes. And it begins at the house of God before the judgment falls. What Peter is saying here is so awesome. Peter is saying in the passage in 1 Peter chapter 4, 17, that this world is headed for judgment. This world is headed for judgment. Because if a person does not receive Christ, they will die in their sins. And there's only one sin that is unforgivable in the world. Only one. Only one. Only one. I don't care how bad a sin you can list, how bad you think it is, there's only one. There's only one for which there is no forgiveness in this world or in the world to come. And that sin is this, the rejection of the Christ who took away all the sin. For there remains no other sacrifice for sin. So there's only one. In fact, the scripture says in John chapter 16, the Holy Spirit is given to convict the world of sin because, because they're committing adultery, because they're stealing, because they're lying. No, the scripture says the Holy Spirit is given to convict the world of sin because they believe not on Jesus. Only sin. Because by receiving him, every sin has been atoned for. Every sin. Every sin. Okay, so what, Paul is, what Peter is saying here, just to wrap it up, what Peter is saying here is that the mark, the mark, the mark, the mark that you have on you in this world, that means judgment is not for you. Touch not the ones who have the mark. The mark is the cross of rejection. The cross of rejection is the mark. The persecution you and I experience in this world is the mark that you belong to him. The world loves its own. If the world is against you, if the world rejects you, that means rejoice for the blessing of Christ rest upon you. That means you will not be judged. For he who believes on me, Jesus said, shall not come into judgment but has already passed through death and into life so judgment begins with the marking the judgment of this world the judgment of this world begins with the marking of God's people who are not to be judged and that is what he was encouraging the saints to see when, when did judgment begin in the days of Noah the beginning of judgment was when Noah, the people of God, were marked and put inside an ark. The, or the building of the ark was the beginning of judgment. When did Lot 
when, when did the beginning of judgment happen in Sodom? It was when the angels went to get Lot out. They were marked to get out. The beginning of judgment was the appearance of angels to rescue Lot. And the beginning of judgment for this world is the fact that you are being rejected by this world. It's the beginning of judgment. And that's why he says in the next verse, if it is with difficulty or if it is with tribulation or if it is with persecution or if it is with tough times, the righteous are saved, the sons of God are being saved. What do you think waits for the godless man who did not obey the gospel? In other words, if God allows the sons of the kingdom to endure this stuff, what do you think is going to happen to those who are not the sons? It's almost like you, you have pity. You, you fear for them, for what's happening, what's waiting for them, because they, have, they know not what they do. You see it? And that's why he says we trust ourselves to a faithful creator, who know, who, knowing he will do what is right. That even though we're rejected, and we're not always rejected by everybody. I mean, it's, like, it's like Jesus said, uh, if they love me, they will love you. If they hated me, they will hate you. It's a little bit of both. There'll be those who will love us because we love him, mostly that's the body of Christ and there'll be those who will hate us because they hated him just to wrap it up um, let's just I want to say this that, that this last verse in your, in your bulletin speaks about how Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible as seeing him who is unseen You know, this is probably a whole other message. It is a whole other message, but I do want to say this. I, meant, I mentioned this in the program. Remember this, saints. The difference between being crucified with Christ and crucified by the world are worlds apart. A believer does not die daily to put, a, put sin down or flesh down. The secret to living over the power of sin is not to die daily. It's to live daily. If we've been reconciled by his death, how much more shall we be saved by his life? See, it's the power of life that puts to death the deeds of the body, the scripture says, the spirit of life. So the believer doesn't die daily in in the sense of flesh and sin and as it relates to our old man. The old man died. Scripture says, as Christ died once, never to die again, even so consider yourself as having died once, never to die again. Even as Christ ever lives unto God, consider yourself as one who ever lives unto God. Therefore, present yourself as one who is alive from the dead every day. He came to give us life and life more abundantly. The the answer to sin and the flesh is not to die daily. The answer to sin and the flesh is to die. See the revelation that we died once and that in him he lives and moves through us. For I was crucified with Christ once, yet nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So the dying once is awesome. The revelation of it's over. We live now in union with him who is life. So what is this daily dying stuff? What is this, Paul says, I die daily. He was referring to the persecution. He was referring to wild beasts at Ephesus. He was referring to people hunting him. He was referring to this world. We, in a sense, die daily because the world hates us and every day they reject us sometimes and try to give us a cross of condemnation because the cross is all about rejection and condemnation. Rejection, condemnation. So the life of Christ, we live this now, this life, filled with the life of Christ. And if the world gives us a cross of rejection, we don't give it back. We take up the cross. That's what Jesus meant. We don't reject them. We take up the rejection. But Jesus, who was without sin, was given a cross of rejection. Was his daily dying all about sin and the flesh? No. See, it's a whole different thought. That's a whole different 
understanding. We are crucified once with Christ. It's done. Now we live in life in Him. But we are crucified daily by the world. We get a cross of rejection from the world. But what can sustain us in that? Only the life. Only the life. Only the life can keep us from being self-centered or seeking our own or trying to save ourselves when the world comes at us. It's the life. The life puts to death the deeds of the body, which includes self-preservation or trying to save ourselves and running from the world who rejects us and trying to please men more than God. You see, it's the life. That makes sense? Awesome. So in that life, we see the unseen. We see the reality of Christ and we see his goodness. We see his closeness, that we are one with him. The secret to going through any tribulation is to see the unseen, is to transcend this world and see as he sees. Paul says, look not at that which is seen, but that which is unseen. For that which is seen is temporary, but that which is unseen is eternal. And we have those eyes now by the Spirit that we can see. This encouraging? Isn't it cool? Isn't it cool how, to, how a verse on its surface looks like one thing and it's taught in one way? And then when we look at it in light of Christ, it's a whole different story. There are several like that in the scripture. Fear not. Study. Rely on the spirit of God. Look with the eyes of Christ and God will teach us. God will teach us. Let's, let's pray. If you'll stand, please, let's pray. Thank you so much. After we pray, Abby's going to be playing with the group up here. And and, uh, if anyone needs to come for prayer, please come and let us minister to you and encourage you in the faith. There may be somebody here who's not sure if they're really a believer or not. And you don't want to have to die and face the judgment. You want to live every day on earth as one who has already passed through death and passed through judgment with joy and peace in your heart, peace with God because of Christ. God will forgive us of everything, everything. If you believe, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God, and if you believe that his death on the tree was your judgment for all your sin, for all time. If you want to be free of condemnation for the rest of your life and for all of your past, if you believe that he did it, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You shall. It's a promise. You don't have to come forward. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to send in any questionnaire. In your heart, if you believe that He is the Son of the living God and His death took your sin away, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is a promise from heaven. It is a gift that comes within you. It's experiential. This is not religion. It is his life. He gives you his life because he gave us his death. He died for you. He wants to live through you. Awesome.
simple. It is so simple. A child can receive it. In fact, we must become as a child to receive the simplicity of God. Come unto me, he said, all your heavy laden burden, and I will give you rest. Don't be afraid, Peter. I'm a sinful man, Lord, depart from me. Don't be afraid, Peter. Believe only. Come to me, Peter. Come. He who believes on me shall pass from death and into life, shall no longer be under judgment, and shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So come forward if you want us to pray for you or for any need whatsoever. You may want to step out in faith and say, this is my morning. I don't, I don't know if I really have the Spirit. I don't really know if I am born again. I don't really know. You can do it today. Step forward and watch God work. Watch the miracle. Awesome. Lord, thank you for opening our eyes to see your glory the goodness of God, the goodness of God. For it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Lord, thank you. You're a father that looks down the road, the prodigal son, every day, looking, looking. And when he saw him afar off, afar off he saw him, he ran to him, he ran to him, and he held him, he held him, he embraced him, he held him, and he brought him home. That's my father. with you, for you, and 